This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. The second wave continues to take the largest toll in long-term care. The good news is the process of vaccinating residents seems to be underway. But vulnerable residents lost their priority place online. Here's what leading gerontologist Dr. Samir Sinha had to say about it. We had more deaths in the last week than we had in the first two months of our second wave. So if you tell me who needs that vaccine first, the highest priority group needs to be everybody in these long-term care homes. And when our general simply says it's too logistically hard to do it, if Denmark can do it literally, you know, within less than two weeks, if West Virginia completed all of their homes um, by December 30th, why are we saying that our plan is to get these homes where people are literally dying and have the highest risk of dying? Why are we saying that our plan is to try and get to all of them by April? Well, the calls for action are escalated. CARP, of course, started the ball rolling with its campaign. Last week, the Toronto Star launched one of its own. And as you heard on Zoomer Radio, the group Save Our Seniors has been holding regular demonstrations. Over the weekend, both the federal Green Party leader and the NDP leader appeared outside the St. George Care Home in Midtown, Toronto, where 14 residents have died and the University Health Network has taken over the management. I'd like to hear from you. Do you think enough is being done? Do you believe the government when they say that? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I would like to welcome our Zoomer squad, David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP, Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. Hey, everyone. Good morning. Hello. Okay. Let us start with David. Uh, What do you make of the developments of the last week? I think it confirms that the government is flailing. I think some of that is uh, unavoidable. Uh, they clearly can't be uh, held responsible for the magnitude of the, the infections or the spread in spite of all the social distancing, in spite of all the policies. But again, we see these huge disconnects between the arrival of vaccines and the deployment of vaccines. We see uh, inadequacy still in some of the long-term care homes. So I think it's fair to say that um, we've reached the point where the overall performance is really starting to fall apart here if it hasn't fallen apart already. Bill. Well, you know, originally when we talked about the uh, vaccines, we were pleased to see that the provincial government said they were going to follow the uh, NACI guidelines, the National uh, Advisory Committee on Immunization. And very clearly they said uh, the first... uh, uh, vaccines should go to, and I quote, those living or working in residential care uh, care homes. And second was those who are at greater risk of severe illness living in their own homes. Now they've completely backed away from that 
recommendation that at the time everybody said was the right thing uh, to be uh, to be done, and they're moving slowly in doing it. So uh, our members at CARP are frustrated uh, by the fact that the political decisions seem to be overriding the solid medical recommendations that were originally agreed to. Peter. Well, you know, uh, they, they've vaccinated um, all the residents at tender care. That, that's right, isn't it? So why, um, you know, tender care is like in the midst of an outbreak. It has, you know, it's being run by a hospital. You know, it, it's, it's in the worst possible situation, and yet they vaccinated everyone there. Why can't they roll it out to the other uh, nursing homes? I, I, I don't understand. I, I'm asking a question. Like, I just, I don't, I don't see what the holdup is. Um, and, and why nursing homes are, are being forgotten or pushed pushed to the back of the line? Well, they've said they do all the ones in the hot zones by January 21st. Most of the nursing homes in Ontario, anyway, that are in outbreak are, uh, well, are uh, over 100 of them anyway, are, are outside the hot zones. So uh, I don't know. Uh, that's a very good question. And they didn't get to tender care till the weekend. All kinds of other people were vaccinated. David? They don't have a, they, if they have a clear plan, they haven't articulated it. It's all over the map. And second of all, I'm wondering if they are tap dancing like crazy, uh, because of supply problems as well. I mean, yeah. we saw, we saw Premier Ford on the air, uh, I think it was on Friday, uh, asking the feds publicly in his press conference, please approve AstraZeneca, because we need more supply. We're going to run out. They're talking openly about uh, stretching the gap between the first dose and the booster or the second dose from 21 days to 45 days, that if they actually, if they were more efficient, I read that, that, that if they were doing it uh, more efficiently, they would have used up their entire supply by now. So they're trying to stretch a supply. There's distribution problems, there's supply problems, and there may be managerial problems of just getting it into the right places at the right time. So it looks like a perfect storm here. And in the middle of all that, the information, as usual, is very choppy, uh, very you know, partial, not quite sure what the whole story is. And uh, so they're only making it worse for themselves uh, from, from that standpoint as well. Uh, I heard something very interesting last week when I was talking to the head of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association. And she was saying that, and, and I've heard this from doctors too, talking about bureaucrats who, of course, carry out whatever the rules are. And she was saying there was too much bureaucracy. And even when it comes to getting a temporary management by a health authority, the kind of paperwork they need uh, just holds up getting any help. Bill, do you have a sense of that? Oh, yes, I think that's absolutely true. The system is so fragmented. And that's one of the problems with bringing in a military uh, person to uh, lead this, because in the military, uh, the general makes an order, everybody carries it out, and that's the end of it. In uh, in Ontario, the general uh, creates an order, and uh, task forces have to be formed across the province to uh, carry it out. I'm sure he's frustrated uh, by the uh, by the bureaucracy of the, the system, the various uh, the various levels and the fact that the control is so decentralized. You know, in Ontario, we're one of the only provinces where 
the medical officers of health, the various communities report to their local town councils, not to the provincial uh, uh, medical uh, uh, health office. So, so uh, it is, it's a fractured system, but yeah, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. Remember, uh, the four of us uh, talked some time ago about the fact uh, the government is still messing up the flu vaccine that they've been doing for decades. So did we really expect them to be able to manage this one well? Well, I mean, it's clear that there are too many public health units and, and you know, their fax machines don't talk to each other. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, um, you know, it, it's one of the things and I, I almost have some sympathy for the government because the premier or uh, the the health minister will get up and say something. And the fact is, it is not happening like that on the ground. It's not happening on the ground and they don't seem to be able to get ahead of it. Uh, either in their admin or in their messaging. And I go back to what we've all, all of us, four of us said for weeks, this is an emergency. And in an emergency, you put aside the business as usual procedures. I mean, the building is on fire. We don't need to worry about, you know, what's being, you know, filed in triplicate and whether there's a crisis and there doesn't appear to be a crisis level of admin that supersedes all of the uh, normal channels. And if you want to argue it'll take years to streamline the normal channels, I'm in. That's fine. I understand that. But this is not normal times, and there doesn't appear to be uh, enough of a perception on the part of the leadership as to just how badly this is rolling out and, and frankly, in, in you know raw, naked political terms, how bad it looks. Well, uh, this could be this could be an election decider yeah, uh, in a year and a half, frankly. Absolutely. Well, it, it, like Ford, Ford was all pleased with himself in early December saying, you know, the vaccine's on its way. I've been talking to all these business, uh, you know, these pharma reps, you know, it's coming. And now, um, it, you know, I, I think David's right. There's, there's very little supply of it. And he's looking bad. And, and it's it's a it's it's political fallout right there. Well, you know what? The supply issues, that's the fault of the federal government. Because, uh, you know, I look at Trudeau on Friday getting up and and talking about how many doses have been ordered. But but when? We clearly uh, didn't get in early enough, didn't pay premiums big enough to get an early supply. And and it's interesting that one of the calculus, Israel has a huge supply mm-hmm. of vaccine. We don't know exactly what they paid for. It might have been a premium as high as 40%, but they made the calculus that, hey, if we get our economy opened up sooner, it's worth it. Well, I think um, you, raise, and- you raise an excellent point there because the if we can look at other jurisdictions that have supply, that have, it's not like nobody's got it. It's not like we're making a utopian demand for a magic supply of this vaccine that doesn't exist anywhere and that every single jurisdiction is flailing around the same way. Other jurisdictions have been able to land the vaccines and disseminate, distribute the vaccines. And so it is fair to look at our admins and say, well, why haven't you been able to do this? Well, it, 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 exactly. And even the United States, which is, you know, leading the world in casualties, even the United States is ahead of us in vaccinating their population. And uh, by the way, as a tease for our second half hour, they're vaccinating some of our population as well. I was going to say, some people mm-hmm. are going down there to get vaccinated. Well, yeah, I, I'm going to, David, keep... property down there, you can 
get vaccinated you right away. You don't even need property down there. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. All you need is to be over 65. That's what you need. Uh, yeah. But at this point, it's getting difficult. So people... If you're listening, we're going to tackle with that with the experts in that field uh, in in the back half. Uh, I'm going to take some calls now. We've got John in Toronto. Hi, John. Hi. Um, I have my friend here who's actually way better than I am. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, hi. How are you today? Uh, my name is Vladislav Sobolis. I'm the founder of Hugs of a Mask. And, uh, you know, we were talking about somebody's being... Uh, uh, subjected to medical experiments. Like, these vaccines have not been tested even on animals. Oh, Why that's on not Earth true. The, the tests, okay. Uh, sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stand for fake news about uh, this vaccine. I know there are anti-vaxxers out there. Don't bother calling people because I'm not going to put you on the air. Uh, the, the trials for these were quite extensive. Uh, there's two of them that are based on new technology. The other are on vaccine technology that's been used for a very long time. Uh, so, uh, and they have been tested on tens of thousands of people. Let's go to Bill. Hi, Bill. All right. This thing has just become political. That's, that's the essence of the whole thing. If you took, you know, vaccinate people in long-term care homes, that's where all the deaths are happening. If you took that statistic out of the whole factor to the general public, this thing is really just, it, it's a flu. To it's most not. Of us. It's not a flu. There's lots of excess death, but that's what we're saying. Get the vaccines into long-term no. care. But Libby, honestly, the people that die have got like three co- comorbidities or more. I mean, they're sick people, elderly people in homes. Uh, you, that's uh, where you need to attack this. Shut it down there. If that's where the majority of the deaths are taking place. For most of us, this thing is just a flu. Well, uh, not necessarily, Bill, and I don't know how old you are, but uh, it's people, it is most people who are older, it's uh, people who are 80, but people who are 60, and we keep hearing reports about young people with no existing conditions dying. So um, well, uh, it's, it's at, less uh, dangerous I... for young people. Um, I, I don't know if it'd be less dangerous for you, frankly. I don't know your whole medical history, but... Well, uh, I, I suspect, you know, you'd be pretty well at, at risk for a bad case. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I could be at risk. I actually do have several co- comorbidities, but I, I'm, I'm fairly healthy. Um, the people that it's killing are the elderly, you know, people that are 80 years of old, 80 years plus in old age homes. Those are the people that are dying. Well, and if you I, I like suggest that, and you watch the statistics and I looked at it. They said the common flu, young kids will die from the common flu, and young kids will die from uh, the COVID. And statistically, the flu will kill more more young kids than the uh, COVID will. Okay, depends on the strain. Let's go to Natalie in Scarborough. Hi, Natalie. Hi. Um, I just I don't understand where some of these people what they're thinking. That is just the flu. They say it's like getting hit by a bus. That's what the pain is like, not to mention the breathing part of it, just that part of it. I'm 70, and I'm petrified of getting it. And the more 
the population is getting it, the, the more petrified I am. Well, exactly, except a lot of the people saying it, and I don't mean our previous caller necessarily, think, well, if you're 70, maybe you're expendable. But uh, we keep seeing pictures of people. We keep hearing from people who are those so-called long haulers who may have had a case that wasn't so bad, but there are symptoms that persist. They talk about some people have this brain fog, uh, people are losing their hair, uh, uh, people are exhausted for months at a time. So we don't really know what this thing does long term. So it is not like the flu. Some people want to choose to say that it is true. Listen, here, still 70% of the deaths or more are in long term care. That's true. Yes. So Let's get those people vaccinated. Natalie. I am so upset at our government because you can see when they go on TV that they're they're holding back and they're not telling us the truth. And and Trudeau, I mean, we bought millions. We're ready. Well, where are they? If we bought millions, we may have, but I, I think we bought them at the wrong price and we bought them a little late. Well, uh, I would probably agree with that. And, of course, a lot of the ones we bought aren't approved yet. Right. Uh, Natalie, thanks for your call. Thank you. Have a good day. Okay. That was exciting. Let's get back to our panel. (laughs) Can I weigh in, uh, Libby, uh, Bill? Um, As you know, I was the uh, on the staff of the Canadian Lung Association for many years before I Uh, came into this position. And I do know about flu, and I know a little bit about vaccines. And I can assure your listeners that, first of all, uh, there is no real comparison between flu and COVID. It's a different kind of uh, disease. Uh, And the, the statistics that were quoted by some of your callers in terms of the results of of, uh, of flu were not uh, were not true, and now we're hearing and seeing many many cases of younger people having severe reactions after they they're physically over their bout with uh, uh, COVID. So uh, uh, please, people, don't listen to. Uh, uh, to the non-scientific that's telling you that somehow uh, uh, COVID is not going to affect the entire population, not just uh, not just people in long-term care homes. Yeah, and and by the way, the good news this year's flu season is a bust. There's very little of the regular flu around, and why is that? Because we've all been walking around, washing our hands, socially distancing, and wearing masks. So, uh, so uh, here, if you're thinking about, uh, contagion and, and vaccines. So the things that we are doing to try to prevent COVID, which uh, are not working that well, well, they, they work well for that regular flu that some people think is the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, which brings, Brings me to a question of vaccine hesitancy. It's obviously an issue here, though. uh, Just before we go to our next person, I want to look up uh, an Angus Reid poll from this morning. And not only are people not doubting the vaccine, but let me just get to it. I think Bill has it, too. Yeah, I uh, I do. It, it's, it was good to see because uh, just a month let me, or so Bill, ago, hang on. Let me just tell people what it's about. And it says, 
that uh, most people uh, think that it's going to take too long to get vaccinated. Um, so the number of people saying that they plan to get inoculated as soon as possible has increased 12% with a firm majority now willing and waiting. So, Bill, go ahead. Yeah, well, we were really concerned that uh, uh, that we would not reach the numbers that we needed for what they call uh, uh, herd immunization with enough uh, people with the vaccine that uh, that the community would be protected. And now we're getting closer to that uh, uh, to that number, right? And it's been quite a, quite an increase. I'm not surprising. It's the people over 55 who are most concerned about getting the vaccine and want to get it just as soon as it becomes available. But all age groups are uh, are increasing. And we know now that uh, a majority of uh, Canadians say they'll get the vaccine when it's out or very soon after. And that's what we're looking for in the long term. Peter? Yeah, um the I, I'm just looking at that poll too, Libby, and, and it looks like the the people who are firm nose in getting um, in in not getting the vaccine, it's 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 looks like it's about ten percent across all age groups if you average it out. So um, that's that, that's a big number, but it's it's not um, it's not a worrying number if if you know ninety percent on the other side are willing to get it. So. If and when the vaccine finally do start rolling, which um, will probably be in April, uh, Ford said, I think, um, then it looks like it's going to have mass uh, acceptance. Oh, uh, yeah. It is going to be a long time since we get uh, until we get vaccinated. I mean, the the rollout plan for Canada, <laughs> you know, the, the 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 whole thing might dissipate by the time uh, we get vaccinated. But, again, but yeah. again, it goes back to the lack of transparency, which I think is is really at a cause of a lot of frustration. Look, there was a finite, knowable number of nursing homes in Ontario with a finite, knowable population. Why can't they just come out and say, here's how many doses we have, here's what we're delivering tomorrow, here's what we're delivering the day after. Here's what... We have all these, these uh, and if they haven't got them in their hands yet, tell us. We're short 3 million, 2 million, whatever the number is, and uh, over to you, Justin Trudeau. I mean, but it's it's caught in this sort of baffle gab. This they're concerned. It's coming. It's rolling. It's and it's all smoke and mirrors. And I think they would actually do themselves a bigger favor. I think governments they would actually reduce the frustration level. And that one caller, I agree with her. I think Natalie said she she suspects that they're just not being straight with us because of the way they they conduct themselves. And the, the way the information is so choppy, why can't we get a straight answer? And I think that's what's making a lot of people, you know, even more irate than they would normally be. Well, uh, you know, to to give the to to give them a little bit. One of the things I heard from General Rick Hillier, he said they only get twenty four hours notice that that they're actually getting some of the stuff. So that definitely well, can okay, make it hard enough. to that's communicate properly. But they are not communicating properly uh and but they are communicating very profusely i mean you know they 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 are literally on camera all the time all but the they time. are not communicating in a way that is allaying people's feelings i agree Libby. they're they're on every day for hours you know and they're just talking and talking but nothing is 
there's no message that comes out of it, no coherent coherency coming out of it. You know. Okay, Bruce in Guelph. Hi, Bruce. Hello? Hello, Libby? Yes, you're on the air. You Go doing? ahead. Sorry. Um, yeah, I just want to talk about that guy that talked about, um, you know, it's not serious. It's only core mobility people. I can give him a few examples. Um, that I, I know of somebody, uh, it's my partner's son's best friend, who died. He was 43 years of age. He had nothing wrong with him at all. He just celebrated his 43rd birthday, as a matter of fact. He got it. Within a week, he was dead. Oh, um, God, I'm so sorry to hear that. another radio station, uh, there was a 20, 28-year-old woman. She said she had it for like six months, and like that other woman described, um, it was like being hit by a truck. She thought she was going to die, and now basically only half of her heart works. She, she has to be on oxygen for the rest of her life. So this is what people are realizing, that even young people, it can affect your lungs, it can affect any organ over a long period of time. So it's not about dying. It's not just about the dying that it is a problem. It's the other effects that can come with it, and that is a real issue here that people are getting. It's not a flu. It's much, much more serious than the flu. It spreads more than the flu, and people are getting sicker longer, and that's the bottom line. Well, yeah, and the, the other thing about it is that beyond what we know, which is, yes, older people are more vulnerable, yes, people with certain comorbidities are more vulnerable, we don't even know who in the which 43 year olds are at risk of dying we don't know that that's right it's a random thing it's a random thing random thing yep anyway bruce thank you for that thank you okay all right take one from marilyn and Lindsay. hi marilyn hello good morning how are you fine good afternoon oh it is oh it is went fast (laughs) um i just wanted a, a positive note um, to send. Um, my friend who is a PSW in, uh, Siena, actually, nursing home, uh, Collingwood area. Um, she has had her first vaccination and she's getting her second dose on the 20th. They have had no cases in their, in their home by patients or staff. And, um, it is an older home, so there would be four bedrooms, but there's definitely not four patients in the room. Okay, I'm going to say knock uh, wood or whatever my desk is made of here. Thank you for that, Marilyn. You're welcome, dear. Have a good day. You too. Okay, uh, we're out of time, so uh, let's uh, go around the virtual table and get 20 seconds from everybody, starting with Peter. Well, you know, um, I've been following all these, um, you know, Save Our Seniors uh, protests and, and buried in them, not so much buried in them, actually right on the surface is, is this big push to end uh, the for-profit uh, nursing home industry. So that's going to that's gonna heat up, it's going to percolate, and, uh, you know, we, we could, this, this pandemic could put an end to for-profit uh, nursing homes. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, it would, it would take a, a huge... I guess takeover by the federal government. Um, it's a provincial responsibility now, but um, yeah, a lot of but people say. The heat say, is on, though, right? What? The heat is on. Definitely. The heat is yeah. definitely on, Peter. Yeah. Bill. Well, with the current fire we're fighting, we just hope that the 
government realizes they've got to fight this on two fronts. They still have to make sure that we protect our people in long-term care homes and the vaccines are not going to be the the final end of it. In fact, uh, their emphasis is almost like chasing the horses when we should have clo- uh, closed the barn, the barn door. And unless they focus on both, vaccines and controls within long-term care homes, we're not going to see this uh, end as quickly as we need it to. David? It comes down to what is it reasonable to expect from the government and what is it fair to say, hey, they can't be held accountable for every single thing. They certainly can't be held accountable for the nature of the disease and the severity of the disease. And even with all the lockdowns, I would submit they can't be entirely accountable for the for the spread because that's you know up to a lot of people. But the management of the long-term care homes where over 60% of the deaths are still occurring and the distribution of vaccines into those homes is very much within what we have the right to expect. They are still falling short. We are still getting signatures, many signatures at carp.ca to fire the minister. And it, I predict, and I agree with Peter, I think we're on, on the same page that this is rapidly morphing into uh, an election issue uh, before we know it. Okay. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about this again. In the meantime, thank you so much, Bill Van Gorder, Peter Mugridge, and David Kravitz, our Zoomer squad. Thanks so much, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.